to do the Star Trek iceberg. Um, if you're not familiar with the iceberg concept, it's basically you talk about the things that are above the surface, tip of the iceberg, the iceberg, and then things that are below the surface, quote unquote, under the water. Um, so it'll basically go from more commonly known things to uh, more random things that you would have to be like a, a very big fan of Star Trek to even get the reference. So we'll start first one we have here is Star Trek is a television franchise. So Star Trek is a television franchise. Um, total, I believe there's 14 shows. Um, and actually, as I look at it now, you have Star Trek Enterprise. That would be the captain of Jonathan Archer. That would be first officer of T'Pol. And the years that would cover would be 2151 to 2161. And I'm actually going to do these in chronological order, not release date. Uh, the next one would be Star Trek Discovery Seasons 1 and 2. They take place between 2256 and 2258. So the stuff happening in, the, uh, in Enterprise... The hind end of it, um, you know what I'm saying, would uh, cross over with things that are happening in Discovery. Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Now, this show is not actually out yet, but they're saying it's supposed to take place around the 2260s, which would make it basically right after Discovery and right before the original series that's star trek the original series um and actually let me go back discovery the captains would be lorca uh second officer saru then captain saru and or excuse me first officer saru and then he gets promoted to captain and then you have michael burnham who then becomes captain when saru takes a leave of absence excuse me star trek the original series so that takes place 2265 through 2269, of course, that would be Captain Kirk with the first officer of Spock. Then you would have Star Trek, the animated series, which pretty much picks up 2269 to 2270. So it's almost like a, a lost season, as it were. Um, after that, you would have Star Trek, the next generation. Now, this is going to start in 2364, and it's going to go to 2370. The next would be Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That would be through 2369 to 2375. We would have, after that, Star Trek Voyager. That's going to take place in the years of 2371 to 2378. We follow that up with Lower Decks. That would be taking place in 2380. Star Trek Prodigy, which would be taking place in 2383. Then you have Star Trek Picard, Seasons 1 and 2. Those are going to take place between 2399 and 2400. And then lastly, Star Trek Discovery, Seasons 3 and 4, which take place in the 32nd century. 
So those would be all the Star Trek TV shows in the franchise. Next, we would have Beam Me Up Scotty. Beam Me Up Scotty is a phrase that is often attributed to the Star Trek show, but in actuality, that phrase is never actually used. Uh, Live Long and Prosper. Live Long and Prosper is a Vulcan greeting. Um, It also goes along with the Vulcan hand gesture, and it would be actually uh, Live Long and Prosper is the end of it. Um, so you basically go peace and long life. And then the response would be live long and prosper. Um, now we're coming to the movies, the movies, most people are aware of, um, if you're not, it would be basically Star Trek beginning with Star Trek, the motion picture, which is a really sort of like a classic, um, classic sci-fi movie. Um, like it it really deals with like sci-fi type of themes as far as um you know the wonder and like trying to figure things out um a lot lower on the action spectrum um that came out in 79 and uh from my understanding it was it was basically um a property that was owned and people were like, why the star Wars thing is sort of blowing up. They're like, why are we own this property? But conversely, I think, uh, star Trek, the show also inspired star Wars, the movie. Um, but anyway, so then we go with star Trek two, the wrath of Khan. Then you have star Trek three, the search for Spock. Then you have star Trek four, the voyage home. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. You have Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And then at that point is when you sort of see the switch over because the next movie would be Star Trek Generations and it basically introduces the TNG cast to the Star Trek movie verse. Um, obviously, at this point, they all sort of existed in the same universe, but... Star Trek First Contact would follow with Star Trek Insurrection and then Star Trek Nemesis. Now, after Star Trek Nemesis, the movie universe and the TV universe is sort of diverge. And you have Star Trek, which came out in 2009, um, and they call this the Kelvin Timeline. And you have Star Trek Into Darkness, that's 2013, Star Trek Beyond, 2016, And as I do this, there's rumors for another Star Trek movie to be made, although um, the man that played Chekhov um, has passed away since then. I also think there are rumors as of now about a uh, Quentin Tarantino Star Trek project, which just seems sort of crazy to me, but hey, stranger things have happened. All right, so now we go a little bit closer to the tip of the iceberg. It's a fake. It's a fake, I'm assuming, would be in reference to the meme, which is a meme that goes, it's a fake showing a Romulan senator after an interaction with uh, Captain Benjamin Sisko from Deep Space Nine. Um, the next thing is also very, very meme heavy, especially the lies. This is a conversation that Elam Garrick is having with, uh, Dr. Bashir also on Deep Space Nine, um, which 
you know, is actually one of my, uh, probably my favorite track. But anyway, um, so that's a meme as well. Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley is also a meme derived from the time Captain Picard said, shut up to Wesley Crusher. Um, And uh, sort of just meant to sort of like uh, be dismissive, I guess you could say, of someone that you you just don't have time for whatever they're trying to talk about at the moment. Um, Fully automated gay space communism. So this is the first one that I sort of have to try to find out a a, um, context for. Um, Off the top of my head, I could say fully automated, um, maybe talking about the automation that you see in Star Trek um, as far as like replicators, maybe. Um, The gay part, I'm not really sure. Uh, Space communism, I would assume, is referring to the misconception that the uh, Federation doesn't have money or doesn't use money. Um, I know that there is a uh, misconception that no money is used. And I think, um, well, let me say this. I think Roddenberry at one point wanted that. Um, and in the movies, you know, Kirk, Kirk actually says, you know, you know, we don't use money. Um, and I'll have to go back and see if that's the exact quote, but like, basically the thing is, is that they do use money and you see in TNG where Crusher uses money, um, obviously gold press latinum. Now you could say that maybe latinum is more of a, it's not a federation thing, but I mean, that's obviously the economic standard of space seems everyone accepts it, accepts it. Um, so, I mean, they definitely do have currency, but I mean, uh, and I'm probably wrong, but I think even communist countries had currency. So I'm not really sure, um, how they get communism from that or, uh, you know what, I guess it would be more so that the Federation seemingly doesn't pay people in Starfleet maybe. Um, but that's all I get from that. If someone else can sort of give me a framework, because I mean, it sort of seems like something that might have an interesting context, but I really have no idea whatsoever. Um, so the next thing, prom directive. Prom directive is basically the general set of rules in which Starfleet is supposed to interact and carry itself. Um and you basically see throughout Star Trek various captains either bending or outright breaking the prom directive. Um, and it seems to be forgiven a lot with Kirk, but um, maybe that's just, you know, supposed to show more the Wild West nature in which he found himself. You know, it is supposed to be a, a, a space western after all, right? Uh, the odd numbered movies are bad. So basically there's a trope that, um, or there's a, a common saying among, among Star Trek fans that the odd numbered movies are always the bad ones. Um, so basically that would obviously be the motion picture, which was really a scythe, like a really, really sci-fi movie. And I think people, I, I guess just were wanting more swashbuckling, um, and you have Star Trek three, the search for Spock, 
which is um, after the Rathacon, Spock dies, and they, you know, he basically reincarnates as himself. Or um, it, it's a whole thing. Um, the Final Frontier, um, and then the next one after that, I guess, would be Generations. I'm not sure if this trope extended to the TNG movies, but assuming it did then you would have uh, Insurrection. And after that, it would start over into the new Trek verse. So I'm assuming the Kelvin aren't held to that same principle, but uh, I'm sure someone can correct me amongst the, the Trekkies out there if I am indeed not right. The needs of the many versus the needs of the few. Um, this is a philosophy that you see Trek talk about a lot. Um, it comes up most, I guess, in your face when you look at, you know, Spock and Kirk and they're basically at the end of um, Wrath of Khan and, you know, it's, it's sort of what Spock says as he sacrifices himself, uh, sacrifices himself, excuse me. And um, I mean, you know, it's utilitarianism. Um, it's a philosophy. Uh, you could definitely check out utilitarianism if you are interested in that philosophy, but this is the Star Trek iceberg. So suffice it to say, it is something that Spock has um, almost made his mantra. And uh, actually in the new episode of Picard, I believe the name of his uh, autobiography that Picard gives to Keldar is the is a, a play off that, The Needs of the Many. Uh, outweighing the needs of the few or the one. Uh, warp drive. Warp drive is the means in which all of the ships are able to traverse space. Um, warp drive was discovered by Zephyr Cochran, and it uses dilithium crystals, and uh, it powers the warp core. Uh, warp drive being discovered by Zephyr Cochran is what led to the Vulcans thinking Earth was worthy of basically saying hello to, thus leading to the Federation, thus leading to Starfleet, um, or excuse me, not, <clears throat> excuse me, thus leading to Starfleet, then leading to the United Federation of Planets. Um, let's see, uh, did I get this messed up? Well, dilithium crystals, we just talked about those. Um, and if you watch, uh, Discovery, you know that, um, what happens with dilithium crystals is pivotal when they go into the future. Um, and once again, needed for warp travel, uh, holodeck malfunction, holodeck malfunction is a trope in Star Trek wherein there is something with the holodeck that either causes a holodeck person to escape or the holodeck to take over or someone in the holodeck to get some sort of power over everyone else in the ship through shenanigans. Um, there really should be like a list, and there probably is somewhere, I just haven't seen it, of like best holodeck episodes. Um, I know... TNG has a few holodeck episodes because, of course, the holodeck didn't exist in TOS um, or in Enterprise, for that matter, or in Dis 
Discovery for that matter. So the majority of holodeck episodes you're going to see are going to be in TNG, Deep Space Nine, or Voyager. Um, I think it's something Voyager probably leans on a little bit more than TNG. Um, but yeah, if you want to see holodeck episodes, you're going to have to check out basically those three. Uh, let's see, Gold Press Latinum. Gold Press Latinum is, as I said earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, standard currency of space. Um, I should have really looked over this before I started. Uh, I wouldn't have got that deep into it. Um, but uh, it's introduced by the Ferengi. Um, the Ferengi considered gold bars pretty much worthless. Um, but it's the only vessel for liquid latinum and liquid latinum is the preferred means of using latinum because you can obviously store more of it in a uh, smaller spaces so what they do is they compress liquid latinum into the gold bars thus making gold pressed latinum um and uh I mean, latinum is pretty important. I mean, there's, there's a, I mean, it's, you know, it's the commerce of the, of the, of the universe. I know that, um, also one of my, one of the things about, um, latinum that I find interesting is the fact what makes it so valuable is the Ferengi or actually no one rather is able to replicate it. So because you can't replicate replicate latinum, it is an actual like a uh, real standard of wealth. You know, you can't inflate it. Um, it is what it is. So that is the above level of Star Trek. Guessing that means these should be things that you would just commonly randomly know. Um, so moving to the tip of the iceberg. Joan Collins, Stephen Hawking, Dwayne Johnson, Seth MacFarlane, Tom Morello, Big Show, Iggy Pop, etc. This is listing people that have guest starred on Star Trek, one of the various shows. Um, I know Joan Collins was TOS. Uh, that's actually a pretty famous episode. Um, but... Uh, I think, what is it? The, the man, oh man, I can't remember the name of it. Um, I'm going to come back to that. Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking is on an episode. He's, I believe Stephen Hawking and, um, one other person are like the only people to, oh, you know what? Stephen Hawking and Joe Piscopo are the only people to actually appear on Star Trek as themselves which is this is crazy, uh, both on TNG and both interacting with Data. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Dwayne Johnson appeared on Star Trek Voyager, and he was in a, like a fighting pit type scenario, and he was actually fighting Seven of Nine. So that's definitely why he was on there. Um, Seth MacFarlane. You know, I'm not, I don't, uh, I don't remember Seth MacFarlane appearing on Star Trek. Now, I know he does have the show Orville, and, um, that is basically, uh, 
almost like a send up of Star Trek. Um, like not really. Uh, I mean, it's not it's it's not making fun of Star or Star Trek, but it definitely is like a an homage, like a almost like an updated version of T T O S, like fly by the seat of your pants type um, scenario. Um, I know that Tom Morello, and he's from uh, Rage Against the Machine, I believe he was on Voyager. Let's see. Oh, okay. So I just had to look it up. Uh, Seth MacFarlane apparently was on Enterprise, which I was unaware of. So I will have to go back and see those episodes. Um, Big Show was on Enterprise. He played an Orion. Um, Iggy Pop, Iggy Pop was on Deep Space Nine. He played a Vorda. And let's see, Lucille Ball's role. Lucille Ball was instrumental in getting Star Trek to TV because she was, and her Desilu uh, productions basically produced it um, and helped get it on TV so that we can now talk about it. The Wharf Effect. The Wharf Effect is referring to Lieutenant Commander Wharf. Um, basically being the big heavy but like everyone always has to like prove how badass they are by beating up wharf so it basically works to diminishing returns because now it's like you already know if this person's a real threat like they're going to beat up wharf to like sort of prove that um now this takes nothing away from wharf because if you know anything about war, if you know that dude is a boss and when he had to do his thing in the POW camp, that, that was legendary, but that's uh, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself because that might be something later. So we'll just move on. Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs has played a plethora of Star Trek characters over the years. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Shran, Shran, which is the image you see in the uh, iceberg, um, being probably my favorite character that he's played. But I am also a fan of um, Brunt. He plays an FCA officer. That's on Deep Space Nine. Shran, of course, is on Enterprise. Um, obviously, he plays uh, Vorta Wayun. Um, I mean, just... I can't, I'll be here all day talking about him, so I'm just going to move on. Klingon Hamlet. Klingon Hamlet is a reference to Star Trek, um, the undiscovered country, I believe, where the general basically says that um, Shakespeare is best in the original Klingon, which, you know, didn't know that was a thing. Um, But now you do. So basically he's basically saying that um, it's almost like a saying that, that the Klingon id is better at expressing like dramas and, and like tragedies like Hamlet, like pretty much Shakespearean uh, emotions. Like, you know what I'm saying? We're passionate enough that we actually get it. Um, so, and that's Chancellor Gorkon that says that the exact quote, you have not experienced Shakespeare until you have read him 
and the original Klingon. So there you go. Um, let's see. So the next thing would be infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Um, this is also a Vulcan mantra. It is right up there with live long and prosper. And it's basically saying that, basically saying that, um, Everything is better with the most amount of diversity, and that's going to produce the greatest outcome for the most people, is my interpretation of that. Um, Let's see. You know what? I think I'm supposed to do this differently. So what I'm going to do is we're going to go from infinite diversity and infinite combinations we're going to hop over to all the stuff in the white, and then I'm going to save the stuff in the black. So let's go to Mirror Universe. So Mirror Universe is the universe where everything's different. Um, you first see it in TOS, and then every subsequent show, I believe, is played with it except for Voyager. Uh, well, no, I'll take that back. TNG didn't really do anything with it either. So TNG and Voyager, but every other one has basically played with it, including Deep Space Nine, where it first gets reintroduced from TOS. And you find out that the changes that R. Kirk had made, made the Mirror Universe Spock do things that created the Terran Empire to fall. And it was replaced by the Klingon Cardassian Bajuran Alliance. Um, you then see sort of a origin story, or not really origin story, but you almost get like a um, uh, a different history of it because Enterprise, then, which is based, you know, before TOS, goes into it, and then Discovery goes into it as well. Um, so, I mean, if you're a Mirror Universe fan, I definitely think you should check out the TOS episodes, Deep Space Nine episodes, Discovery episodes, and um, Enterprise episodes, and uh, get your fill of the uh, Mirror Universe. Mirror, Mirror, Mirror Tilly is called uh, Captain Killy, which, um, I don't know, and, and Mirror Tilly's pretty fun, too. Tuvix. So this will be another thing that you see come up a lot in Star Trek fandom is the debate on Tuvix with Janeway. Um, basically, there was a flower that when it was transported with Tuvok, who was a Vulcan, and Neelix, who was a... Oh, man, what are Neelix? Uh, I forgot what Neelix is. I'll get back to it. So it gets uh, crossed with the Orchid and the two people, and it creates a new being known, known as Tuvix. And basically, Janeway deconstructs Tuvix to get Tuvok and Neelix back. And some people argue that, in a sense, Janeway, you know, murdered him. Um, so, fun debate. We'll talk about it sometime. Uh, no one says, beam me up. Scotty, uh, we talked about that. Like, somehow that's worked its way into the you know, popular mythos, but uh, no one actually says that. It's almost like a Mandela effect at this point. Um, all admirals are evil. 
so there's a running thing in Trek where unless this admiral is someone that you know, and even then sometimes it's a bad thing, um, most admirals are just sort of like, if not necessarily evil, then like just so out of touch that like it's almost like they're evil by neglect almost. Um, and that's pretty much what you see throughout. The only admirals that I would say aren't necessarily evil is, uh, what is her name? Nechev, um, which I don't think she's evil. I think, you know, she just usually is in opposition to the captains that we like. Um, obviously Admiral Janeway or Admiral Picard, you know, wouldn't be considered evil. Um, let's see. Bell riots. So the bell riots were riots that happened that transformed the United States to the point where it was a, um, a building block towards the Federation. Uh, there's a deep space nine episode where they go back in time because they go back in time. Something stops the bell riots from occurring. The bell riots don't occur. And then there's no Federation. So obviously it's a pivotal moment. Um, the guy, Gabriel bell, who actually started the bell riots ends up dying Therefore, Captain Sisko has to become that man in order for the Bell Riots to still happen. Now, you could make the argument it's a predestination um, because, you know, if the Bell Riots don't happen, there's no Federation. But if Sisko is in history as Gabriel Bell, how do you explain that? Um, the mycelial network is basically a invisible network uh, of spores, mushrooms that are, um, you know, microscopic and they can be traveled across the root system um, that spreads throughout the universe to have faster than light travel, not using uh, warp power. Um Let's see. Double axe hand chop. Double axe hand chop is the weird ass way Starfleet teaches people how to fight. I don't know it. I don't. I mean, I don't know it. Yeah, I really don't know it. But I don't know like where the origin of it is. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. But uh, I mean, it works. I guess like it seems to work. Um, I've seen it used most by Captain Kirk and Benjamin Sisko. And Benjamin Sisko apparently has wrestling games, so it's sort of weird that that's his his go-to move, but whatever. Uh, the Riker Maneuver. The Riker Maneuver is the way William Riker is seen sitting. And the reason he did that is because of his back hurting. Um, he had back pain, and that was a way to relieve it, but it became a signature maneuver of Riker. Um, I think they also have a joke in lower decks about a move he does in space that might be called the Riker maneuver, but don't hold me to that. Shaka when the walls fell. This is a reference, also a heavy meme thing um, that talks about when Picard had to meet up with an alien species and the alien species was unable to speak to us directly, but they spoke in metaphor. Um, so Shaka, when the war, excuse me, Shaka, when the walls fell, um, and also, uh, Tarmok or Darmok 
and Janad at Tanegra would also be a uh, something that would allude to that phraseology. Um, and basically, the popularity of it has become so big that you pretty much, if you just said like Darmok on Jalad, it almost like fits the way of speak that the alien race had which is like just really crazy like how deep star trek gets into our culture um so yeah um and also uh that that race shows up again in lower decks because uh they're tamarians by the way um because they have a um, Tamarian on the ship, the Cerritos, in Lower Deck. Um, so, yeah. And let's see. There are four lights. So, this is a very famous scene from Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, it's also a, a meme as well. Um, but uh, it's actually a really powerful scene. I suggest everyone watch the episode that it comes from. But Captain Picard is basically captured by the Cardassians and they torture him. And, you know, he's able to go free or he's told that he'll be able to not go free, but have a, like a comfortable existence if he just tells the man how many lights he sees. Now, the dude has already gaslit him at this point to tell him like, all right, this is how many lights there are, you know? Um, so, like, if he says that, then he gets to go free, right? But he, at one point, says, you know, he gets to the point where he's like, you know, I, I really think I saw, you know, the amount of lights he wanted me to see. And it's just really harrowing. Um, and it's the two parters, chain of command one and two. And another another um Captain Captain Jellico takes over the ship and he also is someone that is uh really interesting and sort of gets a bad rap, but there's a lot of uh argument on the internet about whether Jellico is a good or bad captain. Um I'll keep my opinion to myself for now. Make it so, make it so is Picard's popular catchphrase um, that he uses when he, you know, gives a command or an order to an insubordinate. Ponfar. Ponfar is the, um, I guess you would say the Vulcan mating period when, like, Vulcan pheromones put them in basically, like, being in heat. Um, and they have to kill or mate. Um, now on Voyager, we see that they can possibly use like a hologram going back to the hologram episodes or holodeck episodes rather. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, first established in TOS and then basically every other show that has a Vulcan officer, you, you get to experience Ponfar through them. So, yeah, uh, trombones, Riker plays them. He likes them. There's coffee in that nebula. Uh, that's also a meme, and it's a playoff of Janeway because Captain Janeway loves coffee. If you don't know that, you obviously don't watch Voyager. Um, let's see here. And 